Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by Derby's Week to Reading's Week. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad considering the week Derby have had. Had a had a good time playing football this morning. So yeah, things could be worse, I think. You got three assists, didn't you? Yeah, not bad for a right back. Not bad for a virgin right back either. I'll take it. <laughs> very sober thomas-esque if i do say so myself <laughs> and that brings me very nicely on to our guests on the show this week we've got matt shaw from the huddersfield podcast and he takes that chance matt you're all right yeah good good day to you as well ryan so all good, good stuff. yeah yeah d- did you um, go to the game yesterday with your partner who i believe <laughs> has done her acl is that right yeah, it was her first game back after ACL surgery, and we sit right at the top of the, the highest stand at Huddersfield. So she didn't she didn't really thank me for uh, the workout that we gave her yesterday. Uh, but she survived. Was, She's okay. I, I I've only known about ACL injuries because of football, because players seem to do them every so often, don't they? I don't really know how people do them outside of football, unless your missus was playing five or something. She was playing football. Yeah, there you go. Was she? Started, there you go. Yeah, she started playing women's football after we had our first child as a as a way to get fit and, uh, and you know, meet some more people, etc. Yeah. And she went in for a block tackle and ended up in an ambulance. That'll yes. teach her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also on the show this week, we've got Paul Mann from the Reading Podcast on Park Royals. Paul, are you well? I'm well. I'm well. And I'm also wondering whether Justin, after his magnificent performance at right back, fancies signing on for the mighty role. Because <laughs> we could do with a right back. So if you're available, Justin, maybe we can have a chat after recording. I don't think Reading could afford me, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair, that's fair. (laughs) Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, his second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games from the championship this past weekend, then talk about some of the news from the past few days. God, there's been a lot of news from the past few days. And then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hate for Late right at the end. We'll start off with Reading, shall we? Who... Haven't had a good week. Knocked out the cup by a non-league side, then smashed 7-0 by Fulham. Now conceding a 94th minute winner to Middlesbrough. Oh, and the captain's also apparently handed in a transfer request now as well. So, Paul, if Carlsberg did weeks, then I imagine this would be the complete opposite of that week. It's been a car crash. An absolute disastrous week. Um, I can't think of many worse weeks than my years of supporting Reading than this one. Because... Not only did we go out to Kidderminster, we deserved to go out. Fulham, we completely just gave up in the second half. And then yesterday, 95th minute defeat. You just kind of think, yeah, that's enough. Oh, no, no. The club then decide to release a statement completely out of nowhere that just slams the captain, makes it look like he's just been, I don't know what he's been doing behind the scenes, but it doesn't sound great from what they put across. Our owner is perfect. He's never done anything wrong. Um, It's kind of like we've taken the communist approach here. Do not say anything bad about us, as will otherwise we will come out and slam you. You mere peasants of people, of customers, of coming to support your club. I I don't know. It's a very odd situation. And you say about the transfer request, Ryan, I don't think that's confirmed in that. It's really weird, the whole situation, because Liam Moore's now come out and said that it seems to not really back that up. So I don't know what's happening. And it's the last thing we needed was more confusing and more toxicity in the club and fan base because it is ugly right now. Really ugly. Yeah. You were referring to what he said on Instagram. He said he's shocked by the statement that's been released. And I mean, it's weird in a way that the club would release a statement saying that the captain's been stripped. 
of um, the captaincy and that he wants to leave. It's weird in that sense, isn't it? And then more saying this afterwards, it's, I, I don't really get what's going on at all. No, I know. I mean, we all recorded the podcast about this on our own site and yeah, it's so hard to know without, without, with all facts because you can kind of think, oh, has he been causing an issue in the background? I find that hard to believe. Um, I've had dealings with Liam Moore because he's been on my podcast multiple times. And I've never had that feeling from him, but I'm never there at the training ground with him. So I don't really know. But I don't know. It feels to me like the club have decided to take a PR hit and divert attention from where the team is at the moment. And I'm not sure whether that's a good tactic because obviously Liam Moore will have a lot of friends in that squad. And I would feel that's going to split the squad even more. We'll see how it goes on, but I'm not sure. But I would say that a lot of fans at the Reading will be happy to see Liam Moore go. Uh, let's not dress that up. He hasn't been in great form for quite a long period now. Also a high earner as well, isn't he? Justin, we'll yeah. talk a bit about that later on. Um, going back to the game, I'm scraping the barrel for positives a bit, but was it slightly encouraging the performance considering Borough are going quite well and you were a goal up until the 84th minute? So, I mean, that's better than the last two games, isn't it? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's not hard to achieve, is it? Really? Um, no, it definitely was a big progression from the last two games. If you looked at that at just the normal championship game standalone, you say that's two teams going in different directions and the team that's going upwards and on a huge momentum is like, I think now maybe six wins out of seven for Middlesbrough. They get the late winner. Um, what it did show is that you've got Bristol on the pitch who gets completely killed for the cross and you've got Tetak at right back and leaves Crooks completely unmarked. Those are two players that really probably shouldn't be playing as many games. And we don't have anyone else to cover them because the two players that we should be playing there at the AFCON. So it is difficult. But yesterday, I, I thought there were positives and the goal from Andy Carroll was a wonderful moment. So, Yeah, speaking of Carroll, he is seemingly off, isn't he? He only signed a short-term contract and Burnley are said to be interested in signing him. How big a blow would that be, Paul? Because he's looked quite good, hasn't he, in the handful of appearances he's had in a Reading shirt? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think he's had maybe eight appearances now. He's got two goals, one assist. He's also been a nuisance. He should have won a penalty against Hull City. The referee's definitely not on my Christmas card list ever, ever. But <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, you'd ideally have him as a substitute. Because I think his legs have gone a little bit now. I think that's fair to say. I don't think I'm being horrible there. Um, he's been a good signer because our other option is George Puskas. And now he's played over 20 matches in the championship. And no, he, he's just not doing it at all. One positive and moving just slightly on from Andy Carroll was that Lucas Jow was back on the pitch yesterday. And that's a huge boost. So if he was to leave maybe that can be slightly covered by Lucas Jarre, but he's still going to be a way off from fitness. But if you sign him in a top-end championship team, you're going to have a really good striker if you bring him on as a substitute. Yeah, very timely to have Jarre back, isn't it? Quick word on Middlesbrough, Justin. It was Matt Crooks who got both the goals for them. And I'll tell you what, he has been a cracking signing for the Borough, hasn't he? 
Absolutely spot on. I mean, this, you just take this game as an example. He won more tackles and more headers than, than anyone on the pitch and obviously um, was in the right place at the right time to score both of the goals when you've got a midfielder doing that. Um, if your strikers aren't quite on form on the day and you've got a midfielder putting putting the two goals where the Crooks did, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. He's a massive asset um, to Middlesbrough and he's a player that probably very narrowly missed out on our halfway team of the season um, because he's been fantastic and he's, he's a player that's only going to get better under Chris Wilder because the way he arrives late in the box as often as he does um, he's a handful he, you know, he'd be a handful as a number nine as a centre attacking midfielder and those tackling stats as well um, back up his ability as a, as a ball winning player as well hard working player top top man Spot on. Huddersfield and Swansea shared a point after they drew one all on Saturday Matt Huddersfield Look like they should have got all three points here, shouldn't they? Um, maybe. I think. I think if you look at the XG in isolation, it's probably a little bit misleading uh, with with regards to the game. First half, I thought Huddersfield were, were very good. Um, it was a sellout home crowd. Uh, tickets were cheap. Um, you know, and there's a little bit of belief coming back to to Huddersfield, which is really great to see. And you know, we, we've seen before what happens when you can build, you know, a momentum and, and get the fan base behind us. Uh, so first half was good. Swansea do what Swansea do. They, you know, they dictate possession, um, move up very slowly through the pitch. And our countering was was superb against him. We cut through them several times. Um, Lewis O'Brien had a great, had two great chances. Um, ben Hamer had the, the best game I think he's ever had at the John Smith Stadium, which would be pretty galling if he hadn't played for us for two and a half years. But no, that's <laughs> the way it is, I guess. He, he was outstanding first half. Um, Daniel Sinani scored and a lot of good work came through him. Um, so really, we should have probably been two or three up at half time, Swansea had a chance or two themselves as well. Uh, they, they weren't bad, uh, but second half uh, we lost Daniel Sinani at half time, and a, a lot of things went through him. The high press from Danny Ward and Sinani was was key in, in getting into Swansea and winning the ball back. And Scott High is is more of a sitting midfielder who likes to dictate, so that wasn't a great sub for us. And and in the second half, really, we got taken to to Rondo Valley, we'll say, and Swansea really sort of took over and, and they were fully deserving of the point in the end, you know, and they could have won it. Uh, Flynn Downs was excellent for them at the back, um, you know, coming into midfield. And at the end of the day, I don't think either team could argue that, you know, draw was probably fair. Fair enough. Lee Nichols was probably man of the match, actually, wasn't he, for Huddersfield? He made 10 saves in this game, which is a pretty astonishing amount. And he's been very good this season as a whole, hasn't he? In fact, my dear colleague, um, who I do the podcast with, wanted him in our team of the season last week. So how impressed have you been with Nichols this season, Matt? It's it's really great, really, because, you know, he was spotted by our goalkeeping coach, uh, you know, with regard, he was in the, you know, the reserves, if you like, at MK Dons. And I think there was a contract issue there rather than an ability issue. Uh, so when you sign a goalkeeper from, you know, who's second choice from the division below, you, you have a little bit of a, a reservation about that. But, you know, he has been outstanding. And, and the thing what he does is he does the basics so well and he's so neat and tidy. He picks things up very quickly and he snuffs danger out very quickly, reads situations. His awareness and his composure are outstanding. Um, but what we were saying before the game is that he hasn't really made any amazing saves where you go, wow, that was that was an incredible save. Like maybe we have with, with goalkeepers in the past, but, you know, he rectified that on Saturday. There were a couple of absolutely outstanding stops and, he has been one of the best free transfer signings we've made for a very long time. I'll give him that. Nice one. Justin, that's Swansea's first point since November. But to be fair, they have only played four games in that time. But Russell Martin's boys are in a bit of a lull at the moment, aren't they? 
They are, but this was a, a much better performance, as Matt alluded to, with the, the second half. Um, they created a lot of chances. Lee Nichols had to be in, in top form, as, as we've mentioned. Um, and they created chances without Jamie Patterson, who is the chief creator. I think this lull is it's just a case of just needing to get players through the door at Swansea um, because they are looking short. Um, you look at Cyrus Christie, who had to come in, and he looked quite quite steady, quite good, uh, as you'd expect from a, an experienced defender or ex- experienced white, uh, wing back. Um yeah, it's just a case of getting more quality through the door. I think I mentioned before the transfer window started, they, they're short of about three or four players before they hit top form. They get they, uh, they get them through the door. I think they they start to rise back up the table. But yeah, this this was a, a good enough performance to convince us that they're not in any danger of being sucked into a relegation battle. But mid-table probably looks likely this season. Finally, Matt, I picked Huddersfield as the team to drop down the most places in the second half of the season in our predictions episode. And Huddersfield fans let them let me know very politely that they completely disagree with that. Um, I always see you as quite a level-headed Huddersfield fan. So are you eyeing up the top six or are you still having reservations about that? Looking at the autos, to be honest, Ryan, after we just said that. <laughs> but no, um, I think I think Huddersfield deserve very much to be in the conversation. I think... Um, to dismiss us out of hand for the top six would be very unfair. Um, I think we've we've done well and deserve to be in the chat. Um, but no, we won't get in the top six, in my opinion. Uh we what where Huddersfield's strengths are, it's 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 in the team itself. They're they're a very good bunch of players, they're very honest, they work very hard, they get on very well together, the spirit's fantastic. Um Sauber Thomas has created an, an awful amount of goals. I was I was dis, I was slightly disappointed, Justin, that he wasn't in, in the conversation for the Close. team of the year. Close, yeah, close. he was. He's, he's been. He's been outstanding. But I think really, when you look at Huddersfield, we we don't have enough players who can really grab a game by a scruff of the neck and just turn things in an instance. I know Sauber Thomas has his delivery, but with Josh Caroma in the form he is, nobody can. When it's backs to the wall, nobody can just pick the ball up thirty yards out and thunder one in the top corner, and the game spins on its head. You know, I think we probably lack a couple of X Factor players. But having said that, the the team. They've done really well together. They're such a together, you know, a tight knit, tight knit group that I don't think we'll see a fall away as such. But teams with more quality will probably overtake us. You're lacking a Justin Peach from right back, really, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Him overlapping Sauber would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> what a vision that is! It'd be interesting to see. Uh, cheers, Matt and Paul. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's hate for later. In the meantime, me and Justin are going to go around the grounds and we'll begin with Kenilworth Road, where there were unbelievable scenes as Luton scored in injury time to beat Bournemouth 3-2 in Robertson's from We Are Luton Town. Ian, what a game this was. Well, what a superb finish to a superb game, really. Even from a neutral uh, perspective. Um, came out the blocks and deservedly went into the break 2-0 up. Um, a dubious refereeing decision for what should have been our second goal. Um, I think that, given that, that inspired everybody and gave everyone a little bit more venom um, for the game, certainly the crowd anyway. Such a hostile atmosphere. It's fantastic. Um, obviously, we were going to be leggy in the second half, given that we've, we've not been playing for four weeks. Um, and that showed, but we had enough in the tank for the last 10 minutes just to just to win the game and the roof came off. I mean, it's got to be one of the better finishes to a game we've had in the last few years. So, uh, yeah, it's absolutely superb. And, you know, watching all the footage last night and this morning, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it was Cal Naismith who got the goal, a beautifully taken goal as well. And I tell you what, he has been class across the whole course of the season. Just give us an idea of how good he's been. 
Yeah, watch him all day, son. All day. What a player. Um, fantastic free transfer. Nathan Jones was saying that Jordan Clark's the best free transfer in history. Oh, I think uh, he's giving him a run for his money there. Um, he's just so astute with three centre-backs at the back. He's, he's, he's offered real uh, stability at the back, but going forward as well. Oh, what a player. Yeah, and Ian, Luton have drifted back into mid-table now, mainly because they haven't played many games in a while, but have, of course, got games in hand. Do you still see the playoffs as a possibility or would you be quite content with a nice, tidy top-half finish this season? No, I think I'll go for the uh, same prediction that I started the season with. Eighth for ninth, I'll be happy with it. So increase from where we were last season. Um, we'll know more probably in the next five or six games. We've got some toughies coming up um, and we'll see after that, but... I think we'll give it a good go. Um, just enjoying the ride at the minute. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, Justin, what an advert for the championship, eh? A great game with the last-minute winner and the scenes at the end were just magnificent. Yeah, I can't believe the absolute suckers who watched the uh, Man City-Chelsea game. Um, <laughs> and they could have they could have watched this. Yeah, and you mentioned the scenes, that Nathan Jones knee slide you see in the corner of the, uh, the fan footage. Um, it's just, yeah, it's incredible, and um, it, it really was a good game. Both teams went went for it. Um, Luton were really impressive. Bournemouth, I don't think they were that they were that good. Um, I thought scoring the two goals flattered them a little bit. I don't think James Shea had a lot to do uh, in the Luton goal, but yeah, top top game, top top performance from Luton, and um, yeah, poor poor result for for Bournemouth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when a team throws away a two 0 lead, you just assume. That if anyone's going to win, it would be the other side, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? But no, the goal from Cal Naismith was brilliant. And I tell you what, he is a brilliant player, isn't he? In fact, this gives us a chance to actually talk about him because he probably has been their most consistent player this season, hasn't he? Quite right. Um, he's, uh, his his trans, um, transformation uh, is quite staggering. But yeah, he's always been a versatile player. Uh, hasn't he? When, uh, when he was at Wigan, he, he played uh, a centre back. He played up front. He played uh, on the wing. Um, <clears throat> but he's, yeah, he's transitioned into one of the best ball playing defenders in the league. Best defenders in the league um, has, has been quite remarkable. He's, he's good in the air. He's, he's good at reading the game. Um, and as I say, his, his ball playing ability is absolutely fantastic. And then he's got the composure to do that in the 96th minute. How many defenders can do that? Uh, you know, we put Lord Kelly in our team of the season. I, I don't see Lord Kelly being able to do that. For example, um, it was a. That's not a dig at Lloyd Kelly. Just, this is just absolute praise for for Carl Naismith, who was a, a free transfer signing last January um, from from Wigan, who were obviously in League One. Absolutely brilliant. Um, got no more positive words to say about Carl Naismith. He's, he epitomises what Luton are trying to achieve. Yeah, and he's been one of the reasons why Luton are a, gr- a brilliantly run club, aren't they? Because they get players for very little money, if at all, and players like Naismith come in and do a sterling job and he's been outstanding this season. We were talking in our Team of the Season episode, weren't we, about how many quality centre-halves there have been this season. He's well in the conversation, isn't he, as one of the best in the division this season. Um, but a really good win for Luton, worth keeping in mind as well. They hadn't played a game in the league over a for over a month because of COVID, but didn't look like it affected them at all, did it? They're their 13th now, uh, but have played fewer games than virtually every team in the division. But bloody Bournemouth, Justin. Bloody Bournemouth. Here I was thinking they turned a corner after their sloppy run of form, and here I am questioning that again. Yeah, they're like that Sideshow Bob clip, aren't they, where he constantly steps on rakes. That's what it feels like. 
Um, they just really lacked a bit of emphasis. I thought Luton got their tactics spot on. Their press was brilliant. They didn't allow the ball to get into Solanke and that didn't help matters. Um, and they lacked a cutting edge that we've seen them have in the last two games. They're not a side that dominates goals-wise, but um, for example, in this game, time's got tough for them. Um and they did. They didn't. Uh, they didn't act on that momentum they had after that two-goal um, fight back, and unfortunately, that got Luton's tails up, and um, they, they 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 struggled. They struggled with the physicality of the game. Yeah, it's disappointing, and um, yeah, it gives Scott Parker a lot of a lot of things to do on the training ground. Yeah, definitely. They. It, it just seemed a lot like Luton wanted it a lot more than Bournemouth, quite frankly. Yeah. And I know that's a very simple thing to say, but it just seemed blatantly true here and I mean Luton could have had more they had that questionable offside didn't they and then they should probably should have had a penalty as well so yeah really sloppy performance by Bournemouth I'm not you know going to rule the roost just yet just because of this one poor result but um Hopefully, they'll be able to turn it around soon because they need to be a hell of a lot better than that, don't they? Uh, Derby just don't give up, do they, Justin? They're now off the bottom of the table after they beat an informed Sheffield United 2-0 after Tom Lawrence scored one of the best braces I think I've ever seen in the Championship, Justin. They were they were brilliant. It was a very close game. Um, neither team had uh, many clear-cut chances, but when you've got a player like Tom Lawrence who um, has that X-factor that you know, Matt mentioned earlier that was missing from Huddersfield. You know, teams teams that don't uh, that don't create too many chances need that sort of player um, who can who can create that sort of chance for themselves. And um, you know, it was, it was good work from Oberselli for the, the second and a, a fortuitous pass from Forsyth maybe that fell to Lawrence. Uh, quite hard to say, but nonetheless, it was a, a really good finish for the second one and a, a great run and finish for the for the first one. He's he's a top top player and. You know, I'm glad he's he's being able to silence his critics. I'm one of them, um, and he's really stepped up this season for Derby. Probably going to be his best goals return if he manages to stay at the club. Yeah, really good performance, really good player. Yeah, it was a magnificent performance by Derby as a whole, really, wasn't it? Sheffield United barely had a sniff at goal, and they've been brilliant recently as well. So for Derby to beat them so comprehensively is... Really impressive, especially when you consider what's been going on off the pitch. Rooney even said it's been his toughest week at the club and he's had some tough weeks in that time, I can <laughs> tell you that for sure. But losing Jagielka and Shinny, two big players on and off the pitch, really is a hammer blow and I think it's bringing about the reality of the situation, isn't it? We'll talk more about that in the news, Justin. Um, but the fact of the matter is they've got the small matter of the East Midlands derby next week, uh, but derby fans are heading into it not knowing who's actually going to be at the club for that game and it's just quite sad really isn't it but while it's going well like it is now you've got to just take your hats off to the Rams and the brilliant job that Rooney is continuing to do and I will also say this actually the Everton job coming of becoming available is not ideal because of uh, his links to Everton of course but uh, yeah hopefully we'll see a bit more positivity coming out from Derby and it's not going to go as badly as this past week has gone uh, what did you make of the Sheffield United performance Justin it was quite poor really wasn't it they looked like a team who haven't played for three or four weeks didn't they they, they were a bit rusty they didn't quite get into gear um, I think you know if a team's had a, a bad week off the pitch the first thing you've got to do is really stamp your marker in the game and, and get at them and let them know that they're in a game and I don't think Sheffield United did that um, and as I say there's a lack of conviction at times um, maybe lacking that killer instinct that probably comes with a team that is in momentum, form-wise, Sheffield United in, in good form. But as I say, that that big gap between games probably impacted them here. Um, I know they played last week in the FA Cup, but 
you could see there's a bit of a hangover there as well. So um, not too much to worry about. You know, the, the game was separated by two really good moments um, from an individual rather than um, them getting battered. So, you know, it's, it's something to put it to the back of your mind and go into next week or go into the next game. Yeah, they've had a few players missing with COVID and various injuries as well. So, yeah, not not too much to worry about, really, off one performance. Uh, should emphasise that, shouldn't we? But you're quite right, they haven't played in ages. A lot of the players who played here didn't play in the FA Cup last week. So, probably lacking a bit of match fitness. I mean, last time they played was that Fulham game, wasn't it? And that feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a long time since they last played. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's not get carried away with this particular performance. Fulham... Just can't stop scoring at the moment, can they? They beat Bristol City 6-2 after winning 7-0 in midweek. I mean, it was 5-2 at half-time in this game. But I think it's safe to say, Justin, that Fulham are well and truly back, aren't they? Yeah, you've only got to uh, you've only got to look at Lee Bowie's, uh short clip of uh, his interview after the game to to, to realise just how good Fulham are. You know, he looked a little bit a little bit concerned um, that they're coming up against Fulham uh, soon. Um, but yeah, Fulham are just just good. And I think the thing that impressed me most about this game is they went behind to Bristol City and, and came back. And not only did they come back, but they <laughs> swatted them aside with a big old slap around the face and said, not happening today, son. Um, it was a really good performance, ruthless performance again from Fulham. And um, yeah, I just, I just sit here in awe of that team and how good they are going forwards. Yeah, the mad thing is they only managed an expected goals of 1.67, which I'm sure will prick up a few ears of XG sceptics, but it just shows how clinical they were as well. They were just well and truly ruthless in front of goal, weren't they? Rob Scott on Twitter asked us, can you please start a petition to ban the use of Alexander Mitrovic in the championship because it's disgustingly unfair. Uh, third hat-trick of the season now for Mitrovic. I was having a look earlier. I think he's the first player ever to have three hat-tricks in one season in the championship and neither am I you we're just past halfway through the season he's now on 27 goals as well and that's more than he got last time he was in the championship across the whole course of the season so he's outdoing himself as well uh, it's getting to the point now just where I don't even want to waste time talking about him because we'll just be telling people what they already know won't we that he is very very good at scoring <laughs> goals and it is mad to think that only one player prior to last season had scored 30 goals in a championship season and now Mitrovic has nearly done it in half a season. So, yeah, he's just breaking records all over the place. And he's, I mean, the 31-goal record, that's just going to be a thing of the past very soon, isn't it? Anyway, Fulham back on top of the league. They've got a game in hand too and a very kind run of games coming up. So, congratulations, Fulham, on promotion. Dear me, what a sad <laughs> life, Jane. Um, <laughs> Bristol City, Justin, I don't think you can really say much about this game, can you? I thought Semenyo's goals were both very good, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, he's carrying on his good form. The one thing that's been missing from his game is um, a killer instinct in front of goal. And he showed that against the best team in the division that, that he's got it. He's, he took his goals really well. I'd argue that his, his second goal, the finish, was better than the first one where he just, I wouldn't say he just powered it behind or, or, or through Rodak at the near post, but it took a lot of welly. Whereas that second one was a precise finish. He's, he's, a, he's a really good player and, and, and one that I'm really looking forward to seeing develop in it. Uh, I guess a central forward role or maybe as part of a two um, however person sees fit but yeah I think you, you, maybe you can question game management um, that first off was probably a bit of a microcosm of, of Bristol City season taking the leads dropping them and not collapsing well they did collapse I mean Fulham are very good but um, disappointing but yeah they played against a very good team so 
What can you say? Yeah, I don't think you can really criticise him too much, can you? But hats off to Semenyo, someone who's he's still a very raw talent in T, despite him. Uh, I mean, he's still quite young, to be fair to him. Um, and it's just about moulding him into the player who can be a consistent player on a regular basis, because consistency is the one thing that's lacked in his game. Because um, he'll have games like this, and it, I mean, it doesn't really matter when you concede six at the back. You need him to be doing it in games where you're playing against similar opposition and table if you see what mm-hmm. I mean so yeah he, he needs to do it on a more regular basis but I'll tell you what two very well taken goals and uh, hopefully we'll see more from him in the near future Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about QPR's win against West Brom and Blackburn's win away at Cardiff Back to the second tier podcast, QPR got a massive win at home to West Brom. They won 1-0 after Charlie Austin scored a late winner against his old club. God, I bet that felt good for him, didn't it? Because he didn't have a great time at the Hawthorns, did he, Justin? No, you're absolutely spot on. Um, I mean, he's a player who's always going to be a danger. Um, and as you, as you rightly say, wasn't universally liked at West Brom so you know when you score a goal in the, uh, in the dying minutes of a game you can yeah, you can feel you can really feel the uh, stick it to him attitude uh, can't you but it just goes to show that QPR have got ability um, two former West Brom players combining for the goal Willock uh, with the assist and Austin uh, obviously with the finish um, uh, it's, it's a worry for West Brom but a massive positive for QPR who who got above West Brom in the table um, and it was this was a very good performance I think from QPR um, and same old issues for, for West Brom Yeah I think it was a really good performance by QPR defensively they were superb uh, sure West Brom did have a few chances but they were just great at the back I thought Jimmy Dunn in particular played really well for Rangers uh, a couple of bits from the game worth mentioning Johan Barbe got absolutely launched into the advertising hoardings by Davo DK that was a really nasty moment but mm. I don't think it was intentional and Barbe did carry on afterwards uh, the other bit was the QPR time wasting at the end of the game uh, a fan got the ball and drop kicked it out of the stadium <laughs> if you haven't seen that yet have a look on the second tier Twitter it is Absolutely glorious. But QPR now up to fourth, Justin. We both had them outside of the top six in our predictions last week. Any regrets there or do you still think that will be the case? If if More performances like this because the performances from a QPR team that you don't necessarily expect with the players that they've got and and, um, throughout the course of the season they haven't really showed this side to their game too often. So more performances like this then they will finish in the top six without doubt because you're playing against the top side um sure the top side are going to create chances like West Brom did but you actually just you do restrict them um you keep the key players quiet um it was a good performance from from QPR again missing missing top top talent in the likes of chair um and Dieng so more performances like this they'll finish in the top six it's as simple as that yeah, they've definitely got a very, very good chance again there at the moment, haven't they? Um, the only thing I'd say is that I've seen more consistent, good performances from other teams than they have QPR. I think even QPR fans will admit that over the course of the season, they've only had a handful of really, really good performances. And in the meantime, they've just been ticking over quite nicely, getting uh, points on the board where they haven't been playing particularly well or have relied on a moment of genius from the likes of Willock or Chair. So if it happens more consistently, then yeah, absolutely. I'll be going back on my decision to leave them out the top six. Um, 
But results like this, yeah, superb, superb result, without a doubt. Uh, we continue to be concerned for West Brom, Justin. They've now only got a one-point cushion inside the playoffs. And I'm once again seeing calls for Valo and Ishmael to be sacked by West Brom fans. Uh, we've somewhat stood by him across the course of the season, haven't we? But I think if they do suffer a couple more poor results in the near future, he could be in serious trouble, couldn't he? Yeah, you look at Darren Moore when he was sacked. Obviously, he was sacked while West Brom were in the playoffs. Um a couple of seasons ago so there's a ruthlessness to this to this ownership um ownership uh by the West Brom ownership so yeah performances have got to greatly improve and uh, and so have results um you know they, they do create chances they are good defensively but games like this where they're not as good uh, or not as efficient going forwards as they as they usually are um defensively I know they're missing key players at the back but at the same time Going going to to the end of the game, you got to see it out. You got to manage the game, and um, they didn't. Obviously, QPR got the result, and you start to raise your eyebrows a bit at Ishmael and West Brom as to whether or not they're going to finish in the playoffs with performances like that. Mm. I mean, it's a real threat at the moment, isn't it? I mean, plenty of people were expecting him to be one of those teams who finished quite comfortably in the top six, but at the time of recording, it's looking a bit perilous isn't it because there are plenty of teams who are looking at the top six and eyeing them up at the moment um, they desperately need Daryl DK to hit the ground running don't they he came on as a sub in the second half against QPR but didn't really have much chance to influence the game um, but hopefully when he comes in and is playing regularly he will be that goal scorer that they've desperately been lacking because otherwise they will fall out of the top six quite frankly won't they best defensive record in the league it's obvious where the problems lie then isn't it uh, Cardiff nil Blackburn won Blackburn level on points with Bournemouth in second definitely not their best performance of the season by any means but they did get the job done didn't they well yeah the, the way to spin that is um, they, were, they were resolute they, they, they kept Cardiff restricted um, you know teams that are I think with Blackburn, you're not. They're not going to win every game. They're not going to play um, in the top gear every game. So games like this, where where they come along and you don't play at your best and you pick up results, it's a massive, massive positive, and it shows a different side to your group of players than than one that you might expect to see. Um, but you know they got the goal and it went down to ten men late in the game, and, and they saw the game out. I think that says a lot more about them than let's say they won comfortably three nil. Um, yeah, they, they showed a lot of personality to get the game. Uh, to get the three points, and I think that um, that will serve them a lot better performances like that going forwards than, as I say, winning three 0 and dominating. Brilliant goal by Joe Rothwell for the winner, side footing it right in the front of the goal, which is strange, isn't it? Because you don't really see players side footing it when they're in the centre of the goal. But there was so much swerve on it that Smithies in the Cardiff goal was always going to struggle it. But he's another Blackburn player, isn't he? Who's had a very good season. Uh, you talk about Ben Barrett and Diaz, who has obviously been stealing the headlines. But Rothwell is kind of in the supporting cast, isn't he? Who's been doing really, really well across the whole course of the season. Spot on. Um, you know, he's, he's a player that we probably should have given a little bit more airtime and we were coming up with our team of the season, but he's one that probably narrowly missed out, but he's he's been Mr. Consistent. Um, he's a player that's been very inconsistent in the past, but when you've got uh, his ability, his energy, um, you know, he's he's showing that he can he can play at this level, he can play consistently at this level and he can play in a top team like Blackburn are doing at the moment. And as you say, that supporting cast likes of Buckley, um, uh, Kadra, it was fantastic as well, and the wing backs were, were were really good, and defensively they were spot on. They just function really well as a group, um, and they've got really good depth, which I think is, is something that goes under the radar. As do the supporting players. 
Yeah, Rothwell in particular is someone who's really impressed me. And he, he, you absolutely spot on what you were saying a minute ago when you were saying about how inconsistent he's been because that was his main problem for Blackburn, wasn't he? He's been there for a number of seasons now. Mm -hmm. But because he has been so seriously inconsistent that's the reason why he hasn't been playing more often but now he's finally finding it and he's that kind of player isn't he who can make things happen he is an x-factor kind of player isn't he and he's one that you look to to make things happen and that's exactly what he did here even when his teammates weren't playing that well he still managed to get the three points on the board and it's down to a moment of brilliance from him uh, Cardiff are one of a few teams looking over their shoulder at the moment aren't they actually probably more so than the rest you could even make an argument for. Just a point ahead of Reading, who sit above the relegation zone. And they are so devoid of any creativity, aren't they? And it's so obvious for everyone to see. They desperately need to bring in attacking players this window, don't they? Otherwise, I can see it just being a very similar second half of the season for Cardiff, maybe even worse. Yeah, I mean, Cardiff fans might have been breathing a sigh of relief that Derby have been given another transfer embargo because you can see more players going into Derby and they might slowly improve and catch up with Cardiff and Reading. So, yeah, definitely probably a sigh of relief from them that that's happened because until they sort their own problems out, I think they're relying on teams below them dropping points. Um, and as I say, there are a lot of problems creatively. There's a there's a massive issue. I don't think defensively they're, they're too bad. They can improve, but while they're not creating chances, they're not scoring. Um, and while they're not scoring, they've got to keep out teams essentially. And um, you're not going to do that every game. You're not going to do that for full ninety minutes. So yeah, a lot of issues need need sorting out in the next couple of weeks in this window. Because God, do they need some some creativity and maybe even another goal scorer to help out Keith Moore as well. Definitely. Well, I can't remember the last time they kept a clean sheet. Which is concerning because you, if you, if you're a team like Cardiff and you're so obviously lacking in creativity, you need to be resolute at the back as well, don't you? But they're not that either. So you're spot on. They are right now relying on teams being bad in the bottom three. They're very fortunate that Barnsley are very bad. Um, Peterborough aren't great, but they're not far behind. And then you've got Derby, who've got a rocket rocket up their arse at the moment, haven't they? So, yeah. Worrying times for Cardiff. They are one of those teams who are looking over their shoulder and they don't seem to be doing much to be gaining any momentum. So, yeah, really worrying times for them. Um, inexperienced manager as well. A lot of question marks there and they desperately need to bring in players. Otherwise, it's going to be a very, very disappointing season for Cardiff fans and could end up in relegation. It also completely forgot fans aren't allowed in grounds in <laughs> Wales. When I was watching this game, I was like, why aren't there any fans there? Um, but maybe that's having an impact as well on Cardiff. Maybe, you could yeah. definitely make an argument for it. Coventry won 4-1 away at Peterborough. Were you aware of this result, Justin? It seemed like a lot of Coventry fans were reminding you on Twitter about it after you predicted a posh win in midweek. Yeah, more than aware. Um, I, I don't know why. It's just a prediction. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I just fancied Peterborough to turn the season around at some point. It's got to happen. They've got to win a game at some point. And uh, given that Coventry hadn't won in six games in all comps before this, um, or, or uh, seven games, sorry, in the league, uh, I fancied Peterborough, but it wasn't to be. I certainly didn't see a 4-1 win coming. I don't think anyone can, can admit to that. Um, Coventry absolutely battered Peterborough. And quite frankly fairly concerned for Peterborough after this game yeah well it's Coventry's first win in seven so a brilliant way for them to stop the rot I thought Ben Sheaf in the Coventry midfield mm -hmm. put in a marvellous performance yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was really good in fact you could make a decent argument to say he's been their 
player of the season so far. I'm not sure many Coventry fans would have predicted that at the start of the season, considering a lot of them playing simply didn't want to sign him permanently because he was on there on loan once and he didn't impress mm-hmm. too many people. But he's been really, really good and it's so important how Mark Robbins wants to play in terms of working harder than the other team and he perfectly characterises that. And even though Coventry have had this mini slump He's still been really, really good, hasn't he? And I think he's the one player over the course of the season who's been putting in a 7 out of 10 performance at least every single week. So, yeah, fair play to him. Coventry, five points off the top six with games in hands as well. Um, With Peterborough, considering what's been going on at Reading this week, I suppose it gave Peterborough a chance to try and capitalise on what's been going on. But they didn't. And they keep getting chances to make up ground on other sides, don't they? But they're just simply not doing it, are they? Yeah, uh, I mean, what what can we really say? You know, going into this game, um, this was this was this is why I fancied Peterborough. This was the the chance for Peterborough to to turn the season around. They were coming up against a team who were out of form uh, with Coventry. You know, winless in seven coming into this, not the best performance last week either in the in the FA Cup. Whereas Peterborough played very very well, but that seemed to go completely out of the window. Um, and considering Cardiff and Reading both dropped points, Reading having such a bad week, it had to start with this game and. It turned out to be a disaster for for Peterborough uh, and Darren Ferguson. I don't, I don't think he knows his best route forward with attackers. There's there no natural number nine playing in this game. Um, there is reports with uh, Johnson. Uh, there are reports suggesting Johnson Clark Harris is up for um, always transfer listed or or he's allowed to leave. Um, you know where do they go from here? Because they're they're in such a between a rock and a hard place is is the the, the cliche, isn't it? And you know that hard place is is very very hard in the sense that it can't see them getting out of it. Hmm. Well, they we've been saying it week and week in week out, haven't we? That they rely on their home form. This was a home game and they weren't very good. So <laughs> if they, we all know how terrible they are away from home, if they're not going to get a win or at least a point at home, then you're really scraping the barrel for Peterborough, aren't you? So, yeah, worrying times for them. They just need to get some points on the board, quite frankly, because they're not far behind the teams who are just above them. And it's very catchable, but simply not happening at the moment. Uh, a 91st-minute winner from Lewis Graben. Saw Forrest get all three points away at Millwall. Graben was getting booed throughout the game because he used to play for Millwall. So I imagine he quite enjoyed that goal, Justin. Yeah, he gets booed at quite a lot of away grounds because he seems to have played for pretty much everybody. Um, but, you know, he's a player who is always going to be in the right place at the right time. I think he's an absolute dream for the likes of Brennan Johnson, you know, a, a player who likes to get to the line and, and cross it in. He showed last week in the FA Cup that he's, uh, that he's got the uh, the mentality and the, the drive and the attitude and the awareness to be in the right place at the right time and, you know, a slightly different position in this game, um, playing just behind Keenan Davis, don't think it um, restricted his ability to, to impact the game. I thought he was brilliant throughout. Um, and obviously got the goal in the, in the 91st minute. Yeah, well, Gabin's a really good player. and He's just consistently been a good goal scorer throughout the course of the season. And because he is getting on a bit now, he hasn't probably got the legs to lead the line. So with him dropping deeper, I think it suits him really well because he's also a really intelligent striker, isn't he? And mm-hmm. he can operate in... Uh, the gaps just behind Keenan Davis and basically sweep up anything that's left uh, for him. So yeah, really good tactical move by Steve Cooper and 
looking quite nice, the Old Forest side at the moment, and hence why I had them in the top six in my predictions last week. I just think they're looking like a really good side, and this was a really, really good three points. And I tell you what, they missed some unbelievable chances throughout the game, didn't they? It's hard to deny that they didn't deserve the win. In fact, we were talking about Fulham's XG earlier. They actually got, Forest. this is, got double Fulham's XG, (laughs) despite... One winning by six goals and the other one winning 1-0 in the 91st minute. So, yeah, very weird how it all works. But, yeah, Forrest not too far off the playoffs now. Stoke won 2-0 away at Hull. DiMaggio Wright-Phillips got man of the match. He's the son of Sean Wright-Phillips and, of course, that means grandson of Ian Wright as well. Um, I found it a bit weird, really, because Sean Wright-Phillips in my book is still early 20s. So, for him to have a son who's now playing senior football is a very weird thing for me, Justin, but he played very well, didn't he? Yeah, he was he was top draw and I think Stoke fans have been um sort of crying out for him to 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 start. It was a bit of a surprising um lineup from from Mike O'Neill, but it it paid off and um just on right Phillips he was probably at his most raw in this game and He's, he played very well, so surely the only way is up uh, for for him. And he's obviously got good pedigree, good goal scoring pedigree in his in his, uh, his, his granddad and Ian Wright, and uh, a very good winger as a dad as well. He's 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 got it all, uh, hasn't he? And obviously with 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 Tom Mince um, scoring as well, it was quite a good day for uh, '90s footballers, dads and grandparents, <laughs> wasn't it? Um, but yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good thing for Stoke as well that they're they're bleeding through young players like Wright Phillips because they're a team that needs it. FFP might catch up with them at some point, so getting these players through the door and playing is is a really good really good chance for them to develop. Yeah, he, he really impressed me, Wright Phillips, and he is someone that I've been aware of for quite some time because people have been talking about how Sean Wright Phillips' son is playing in the reserves for Stoke. Um, but he's deservedly getting the plaudits as well, and now he's getting game time as well. So fair play to him, played really well here. I expect him to play in the next game as well. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of him. Um, and finally, Justin Preston won, Birmingham won, Scott Hogan snatching a point late on for the Blues. And I was going to refer to the Lee Bowyer clip after the game where he was talking about how they've got Fulham midweek, and he's chuffed that he's going to be played in a team that's got 13 goals in two games. But you spoiled that by mentioning it earlier. I'm sorry, naughty boy. Uh, right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Thursday was a rather bad day for Derby County. Um, I mean, where do you even start? The EFL has blocked them from signing and re-signing players until they provide proof of funds. That led to Phil Jagielka leaving the club and he's now gone to Stoke. The players were also reportedly told to tell administrators whether they wanted to leave or not. Uh, and various other things have happened as well, but we'll be here all day if we talk through all of it. Justin, for a neutral, I imagine it's getting quite difficult keeping track of exactly what is the latest with Derby. But whatever the case, we're expecting a takeover to be done now. And for some reason, it's still dwindling on, isn't it? Well, the the, the key uh, key sentence there was for some reason. What is that reason? The administrators are, are blaming the EFL for for blocking it essentially because of these claims from from Middlesbrough and Wickham. And whether or not you agree with the, the claims, um, whether or not they're right, the EFL are, are contradicting themselves with with numerous statements. I think they made a statement at the start of the season saying that um, they're not going to get in the way. Of any possible takeover, and they're not going to allow these claims to to impact any possible takeover. Alas, we're here, however many months on, and, and the administrators are, are pinpointing the EFL uh, as to reason as to why this takeover has not happened yet. Hmm. I mean, 
the EFL don't seem to be coming out very well in this at all. I don't really understand what they're trying to accomplish here. How how does it make them look good if a massive club like Derby is just constantly being beaten down when they're already in the dirt? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't like using the term, oh, the EFL has got an agenda against this club because every fan seems to say it. But at, the, at this point, it's hard to deny that there isn't some sort of... Um, you know, it seems like they're picking on Derby at this point, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Quite frankly, I, I don't really understand what they're trying to accomplish here. Uh, I don't think the administrators are coming out very well in this either. For some, why they're making deadlines and then letting those deadlines be passed doesn't make any sense to me either. The whole thing's a massive mess. It just needs to be sorted out as soon as possible. And it seems like the EFL are stopping that from happening for some reason. It's worth saying as well, a petition calling for the government to look into the situation at Derby has received more than 26,000 signatures in 24 hours, which is a staggering amount. And of course, we like to be neutral on this show, but at the same time, I probably would urge people to sign that petition because, well, something is clearly going on, isn't it? And it needs to be looked at and the EFL aren't being neutral about this are they at this point i think mm -hmm. most people can agree on that so it needs to come from higher up that some that this is looked into and needs to happen soon rather than later um sticking with derby graham shinney is also reportedly expected to leave the club along with jaggy elka i'm told that he's most likely going to wigan um something you weren't too actually bothered about were you justin because he's not really featured that much in the team recently has he uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's been out with COVID. Um, I think the the rise of Liam Thompson, Max Bird being as good as he is, um, and Christian Bielik coming back, probably not the worst thing, Graham Shinney leaving, because you've got three very good players there who can who can fill his place. Um, he's out of contract at the end of the season. He, he's over 30. It's expected that he's going to leave. It's a shame that he is. He's a good character. Um, but Derby are in this position where we know that they've got to sell players. Um, and he's he's one of the first ones to leave. In other transfer news, Blackburn have signed Hertha Berlin fullback. This was Go on. Happen, wasn't it? <laughs> Deo Vezio Zifuk. Yep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, as soon as I saw that signing announced, I was like, oh no, why do we do a podcast where we've got to say his name? Um, have, have a search for that if... Uh, if anyone wants to have a, an attempt at pronouncing that themselves. Uh, meanwhile, Lewis Baker has gone to Stoke from Chelsea, as we were saying the other day. Completely forgot he was still at Chelsea, or even existed for that matter. Riley McGree has gone to Borough on a permanent deal from Charlotte FC. He was, of course, on loan at Birmingham uh, earlier in the season. We may have spoke about this on Thursday's episode, Justin, but I can't really say McGree was particularly outstanding at Birmingham. He was certainly good, but not incredible. And here we are with Borough reportedly spending millions of pounds on him. It's a bit of a weird move for me. It's come out of the blue. I think that's probably why it's a bit weird. Um, but Ryan McGree's got a lot of qualities that Wilder needs in his side. He's a very good ball carrier, for example. You know, he'll push Middlesbrough further up the pitch with his, uh, as I say, with, with his ball carrying abilities. Um, probably lacks a, a cutting edge at, at this moment in time, but he's still young, still can be moulded. And I think, yeah, he fits the, the, the Wilder system quite well. So it's just a surprising one. That's probably why it's a bit weird. Norwich winger O'Neill Hernandez has gone on loan to Birmingham after being recalled from Middlesbrough. Cyrus Christie has moved to Swansea on loan from Fulham, direct replacement for Ethan Laird. You a fan of that one, Justin? 
Yeah, um, I think Cyrus Christie gets a lot of stick, but he's very, very consistent at this level. Um, he's got the qualities Swansea need. Um, he's a good wing back. He's a very good dribbler as well, um, and he and he played regular football for regular Premier League football for Fulham. Um, so he's got good pedigree as well. So yeah, decent sign. Sticking with Swansea, the BBC says Jake Bidwell is set to leave to go to Coventry, which I think is a nice, tidy signing for the Sky Blues, Justin. Yeah, again, quite a surprise that uh, Swansea are uh, allowing him to go because I rate Bidwell very highly. He's a very good wing-back. He's a very good provider last season. Got quite a few assists as well. Um, so, yeah, he's a very good option for, for Coventry and whether that whether he'll be a part of a back three or as wing-back, yeah, remains to be seen. But, yeah, top, top signing. I was surprised they let him go because he has mm, been playing yeah. regularly for Swansea anti this season. Mm-hmm. So, for them to seemingly be willing to let him just leave is very odd for me but nonetheless Josh McGuinness has left Hull to go to Wigan Chuck Zaniki has left Birmingham on a permanent deal to go to Charlton that was a weird signing he only joined in the summer uh, but has gone <laughs> straight away and finally in transfer news we'll end on the strange case of Liam Moore at Reading Paul was talking about it earlier but he's been stripped of his captaincy and according to the club in an official statement they say he wants to leave Liam Moore then put on his Instagram that he was incredibly shocked by that statement just in a lot of question marks surrounding this one but one thing we can say for sure is the timing of this could not have been much worse could it oh yeah after this week that Reading had as, as we've spoken about but it's just weird um you know how often do we get a football club coming out saying the captain has been stripped of the captaincy I think even when the whole thing kicked off with um the the accident with Derby and Richard Keogh don't think they put a statement out saying he's been stripped of his captaincy and that was the probably the most extreme case possible um so yeah this is just all very strange and i mean you look at reading on the pitch they're a mess but clearly they seem a bit uh messy off the pitch as well i mean i mean that's obvious let's be honest but this is just strange pr pull i don't know what's going on no i I don't really understand why they've done it why they felt it was necessary to put a statement out at all so yeah very strange goings on at Reading but that's been a regular theme throughout the last couple (laughs) of seasons hasn't it Uh, finally Justin the Yorkshire Post has revealed that Huddersfield interim CEO Dean Hoyle saved them from going into administration after putting millions of pounds into the club Um, in a way I'm not really too surprised Justin because it seems like quite a few clubs are going a similar route of Derby aren't they where I'm guessing COVID has hit them bad, but at the same time, they've had to spend a lot of money just to compete at this level, quite frankly. Yeah, and obviously it broke as well earlier on in the season that um, the current owner, Phil Phil Hodgkinson's businesses, went into administration as well. Obviously, he's stepped aside, which Dean Hall stepped up and, you know, Good, good for him. Good for them that they they've done that. Um, you know that just goes to show that he really does love the football club because he solely staked to to step away and not have too much involvement. But here he is running the club again, um, and hopefully the good, the good times come back for for Huddersfield and the Dean Hoyle because he's, he's a uh, a really top top guy for doing it. Justin, it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give our listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on various different bits to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Assuming Fulham go up, who else will finish in the top two? Blackburn, Bournemouth, West Brom or somebody else? I still think Bournemouth will. Um, I think they've got enough in their team to do it. But, you know, as I say, that gritty win from Blackburn, if they perform like that in the games that they're not playing very well, then could you see them finishing in the top two as well so I'm going to I'm going to edge towards Bournemouth though it's so wide open right now isn't it I'm going to stick with West Brom but the listeners have 
gone completely against that. Only 5% said West Brom, 43% said Bournemouth, they won the poll, 33% said Blackburn, 19% said somebody else. Have people made suggestions? Uh, Borough, QPR been suggested... Someone said Reading. Not sure about that one. Um, <laughs> next poll was, is Alexander Mitrovic the best championship striker ever? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, he's just so ruthless, isn't he? Uh, yeah, miles ahead of anybody else, I think. It's hard to really make an argument against it at this point, isn't yeah. it? When he's just scoring goals for fun and he's done it on more than one occasion now. So in terms of seasons, I mean, uh, 68% of people said yes, he is. 32% of people said no. And finally, who do you like more, Justin or Ryan? <laughs> Such a true question. No, that's, <laughs> that's why I actually ask people. Oh, right. Uh, I hope people say me. Uh, I feel like I've come across as a nicer person on this podcast. So You like to sit uh, on the fence, though. That's why. Yeah, exactly. But then you sack commentary of Borough fans, what they think. <laughs> 63% of people said Justin. 37%. Yeah, yeah. Up yours, Ryan. I, I, Sorry. I didn't want to win anyway. Dear me, what a sad little <laughs> life, Jane. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Paul Mann from the Reading podcast, Elm Park Royals, and Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, name the eight EFL clubs that have a bird as their nickname, and Paul would say Cardiff, that's one down, and Matt would say Swansea, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. I'll be surprised if we get all eight here. I will say that. Um, nonetheless, give it a good old go, right, don't you? Uh, I was trying to think of players who play for both Huddersfield and Reading, and the only player who came to mind was Danny Williams, who, of course, is American. The question is, this week, the eight Americans with the most Premier League appearances uh, in Premier League history. Um, yes, I, I'm really scraping the bar when it comes to these questions now. <laughs> um, we'll, go, we'll go to Paul first. Paul, can you name me an American who's played quite a lot in the Premier League? Oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the person who played for Fulham for years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you've put the pressure on me here. I know. Clint Dempsey. Clint Dempsey. Yes, absolutely. What a player as well. 218 appearances he made for Fulham and Spurs. Matt, we'll go to you next. That was the only one I had. Thanks for that, Paul. Uh, <laughs> there was another one that Fulham had as well who used to be good in the air. Is it McBride? It absolutely is. Brian McBride, 148 appearances for Fulham. He's made the seventh most Premier League appearances for an American. Uh, so you've got two so far. Justin, your go. I've got Brad Friedel. Absolutely. Brad Friedel, 450 appearances for Blackburn, Spurs, various others. Uh, so you've got three down so far. If you want a clue, actually, there's quite a few goalkeepers on here. Uh, so we'll go to you next, Paul. Uh, I'm going to say this just because I support Reading. Marcus Hanneman. Marcus Hanneman has made the 10th most Premier League appearances for an American. So he's just missed out. He's, he's made nine fewer appearances than the eighth one. So you weren't far off at all. It's very unlucky there. Uh, so more, uh, Paul is out. That means it's down to Matt and Justin. Uh, Matt, you've got, how many you got? Five to go. Tim Howard. Tim Howard, absolutely. 399 appearances for Everton and Manchester United. You've got four left, Justin. Calamity Guzan. Brad Guzan. 
It's got to be up there. You're absolutely right. 154 appearances. Not sure how he's got that many. Every time I say it, it was a calamity, wasn't it? Um, yes, that's right. You've got three remaining. Matt, have you got another one? I'm thinking goalkeepers. That 90s, 1990s players would be more my thing. Uh, you've got one goalkeeper left on this list. Oh. The rest are outfielders. I'm trying to think. Was he pre-Premier League maybe? Casey Keller? Casey Keller has made the fourth most appearances. 201 appearances he's made. <laughs> mostly for Leicester, but he has played for various other teams as well. That's a great shout. You've got two left, Justin. Two of you still in. I'm, I'm struggling. I've got a lot of names in my head, but I don't know if they've played enough. I'm, these aren't my answers. The likes of Bobby Convey and Eddie Lewis are popping into my head. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Carlos Bocanegra. Carlos Bacanegra has made the ninth most Premier League oh. appearances. He made 116. He was eight off. So that's very unfortunate as well. Wow. Uh, that means it's down to you, Matt. You've got two remaining. Can you pick them out? There's the winger at Chelsea, isn't there? But I don't think he'll have played enough to be on the, on the list. Pulisic. So um, there's a 1990s midfielder that played for Sheffield Wednesday, which is which immediately came to mind. Um but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many times he played. Um, John Harks. I've got two players left that I can think of, and it's John Harks and Landon Donovan. We'll go with Landon Donovan Neither. first. Neither <laughs> of them. <but> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You, you, unfortunately, chaps, you couldn't yank out the Yanks from the group. Um, you were looking for Jeff Cameron. He made 168 oh. appearances for Stoke. And the other one was Jonathan Spector, 124 appearances. I think, I think that one was a bit harsh. I, I've been very surprised if either of you, either of you pulled that one out of the bag. Um, other players who were quite close to Andre Yedlin made 109. Mm. Claudio Reyna, 105 oh. appearances. He made what a player. Um, and then you had a big jump down to Christian Pulisic, who was the next most. He's only made 64. Um, so there you go, chaps. Unfortunately, full and foul to Simon Grayson's hateful eight, but that was a tricky one. But I'm quite impressed you got six. So hats off to you all. And that rounds up another episode of the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back again on Thursday, won't we? Because we've got midweek games this week. So we'll be back to chat about them then. Quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. Paul Mann from the Reading Podcast, Elm Park Royals. Thank you for your time today. Yep. Cheers. Thanks a lot, lads. A bit more RFC therapy. Cheers. <laughs> also, here is Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance. Matt, thank you for your time today. No problem. Thanks, guys. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. We'll be back again on Thursday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.